0: Shalom and welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Kenneth Turan. Kenneth is a film critic whose work appears in the LA Times and can be heard on NPR. I want to thank you for joining me today, Ken. Um, And I thought maybe what I'd do is get started by explaining to our listeners how today's conversation came about, Um, because I've been in touch with you to ask if you'd like to recommend some films that would tie to our Great Jewish Books Club selection this month, which is How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish. Um, And thankfully, you agreed, (laughs) (laughs) which brings us together today. And I'm eager to get to your list. But before that, if you will indulge me, I thought I'd give our listeners who may not be familiar with the book just a little bit of background, which will help them to understand how your selections tie into that and how my questions may speak to that, as it were. This is what Restless Books, the publisher of the anthology, writes. Is it possible to conceive of the American diet without bagels? Or Star Trek without Mr. Spock? Are the creatures in Maury's Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are based on Holocaust? survivors? And how has Yiddish, a language without a country, influenced Hollywood? These and other questions are explored in this rich anthology of the interplay of Yiddish and American culture, edited by award-winning authors and scholars Ilan Stavins and Josh Lambert. It starts with the arrival of Ashkenazi immigrants to New York City's Lower East Side, and follows Yiddish as it moves into Hollywood, Broadway, literature, politics, and resistance, it takes deep dives into cuisine, language, popular culture, and even Yiddish in the other Americas. The book presents a robust menu of genres, essays, memoirs, song, letters, poems, recipes, cartoons, and conversations, and more. Authors include Nobel Prize winner Isaac Bushevitz Singer, luminaries such as Grace Paley, Cynthia Ozick, Chaim Grada, Michael Shaban, um, Abraham Kahan, Sophie Tucker, Bluma Lumpel, Irving Howe, Paula Vogel, and Leona Fink. Okay, (laughs) so that gives you an understanding of this book in terms of both content and arc of time. So when we spoke, we talked about trying to come up with some ideas for readers who are participating in the book club so that they might be able to sort of contextualize some of the work in the book or get a, you know, just It's a nice treat to do something that gives you a visual um, story to tie to some of this work. So I asked you um, for your recommendations, and in no particular order, let's talk about some of these films. The first, they feel like um, companions, so I'm joining them together and would love to hear your thoughts on your choice of Hester Street and Crossing Delancey. And maybe as they relate sort of to first generation immigrants, multi-generational challenges, all of which are part of the conversation in this book.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm glad you started with those because they're some of my favorites and they, you know, they're both by Joan McLean Silver, a director who was one of not only a pioneer woman director, but a pioneer independent director and, uh, you know, made these films that are really, I mean, they're kind of the essence of what the book is about, about how kind of Yiddishkeit and America kind of collide and combine. Hester Street was uh, Joan Nicholson Silver's debut. It starred Carol Kane, who was actually nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar, which was quite an accomplishment for a small film like this. Uh, It's taken from an Abraham Cahane short story about an immigrant woman who comes, this is, you know, around the turn of the century, comes to New York her husband's there already, and it's about what happens in their marriage when she shows up being the greenhorn, and he's the American, and how does it work out? Uh, Crossing the Lansing is in 1988. It's about a dozen years later. It's a much more contemporary story. It's set basically in, you know, today's New York and um, the New York of 1988. Amy Irving plays a sophisticated young woman. She works in a bookstore. Uh, she's not really interested in her Jewish past very much, but she has a a kind of a matchmaking grandmother who is insistent that she go out with the local pickle man. The grandmother still lives on the Lower East Side. The guy owns a pickle store. And, you know, to Amy Irving, this is like anathema. You know, this is like the last person on earth she wants to go out with. But, you know, movies have a way of making all things possible. And, you know, what happens is really charming. I think it's just a wonderful, underappreciated film.
0: And I think it's true of some of the work in the book too. It's just um, there are little, little nuggets in all of these um, with, in terms of a takeaway. Um, so both of those are interesting and certainly relate to the experience of the Lower East Side and Jewishness in America. And I guess before we move on to the next one, you know, we talk a lot about not thinking of Yiddish as nostalgic. Um, and I think that that's one of the things with films that is is an idea that might get attached to these. And I think that they are, there's more to them than that or am I reaching there?
1: No, no, I think it's quite true. I mean, History Street especially is very tough-minded, you know, and Crossing Delancey is too. They don't really, you know, this they don't look back with kind of, oh, wasn't this a wonderful time? And this was a time, you know, for all immigrants, it's problematic to come to a new country, new language, new mores, new customs. It's difficult to find your footing. And with uh, Amy Irving's character in Crossing Delancey, she has difficulty kind of figuring out who she is. It's not just an unalloyed pleasure for her to have this Jewish background. It's problematic. She doesn't know what to do with it. I mean, it's not like you know Yiddishkeit you know soothes all wounds or you know it just it doesn't work that way. And I think that's a strength for both of these films.
0: We have chicken soup for that, right? No. Um, (laughs) um, And again, I'm going to put these two choices together. Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen. It's a documentary. And Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles, also a documentary. And if you'll allow me, I think it's safe to say that Fiddler, for many, both Jewish and non-Jews, has become somewhat iconic, um, for better or worse, if I may. It's you know, the way most people think of Yiddish life, the shtetl um, and how modernity comes to the shtetl and all of those challenges. And I think one of the things that they attempt to do in this anthology is to really, you know, talk more broadly to to put Yiddish work in a global perspective um, as it reflects uh, contemporary times, which most literature and arts do. Um, There are works by, you know, Sholem Asch and Isaac Singer and others. So I'd love to get, again, your thoughts on why these movies and also the challenge for Fiddler.
1: Well, Fiddler, you know, the fascinating thing about Fiddler, I mean, when, you know, first of all, let me differentiate the two films and then I'll Mm -hmm. talk about Fiddler in general. Fiddler, a miracle of miracles is more about how the play was put together. It talks to the, the creators. It talks about how it was stage talks to, you know, how Prince was the producer, the composer, the lyricist, you know, the, the book writer, and it focuses there. Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, which is about to come out, it's a, it's a brand new documentary. It focuses almost exclusively on the film, on how the transition was made from, from stage to screen, so to speak. And I am actually a voice in that film. So this is a little, you know, Full disclosure, as they say, but I think it's a fascinating film. But you know, one of the interesting things that comes out in both of these films is that everyone thought when Fiddler started that no one would want to see this. They had a hard time raising money for the original stage production. Everyone said, yes, there are X number of Jews in the New York area, they will all come, but that's it. Once they've all come, the play will die. And it turns out, and this is true for the film as well, these plays have enormous international audiences. I mean, this play has played like long, long runs in Japan. I mean, there are scenes of fiddler productions from all over the globe. The story of, as you say, you know, modernity versus tradition, this plays out in almost any culture you could name. This is far from being just a Jewish story. Even though everyone thought it was, it turns out everyone was wrong.
0: Because yeah, so many of these stories are universal stories. Um because these are challenges that we all face in, in whatever our contemporary culture culture is. Um, so let me move on. And this is your sort of last batch. Um, and I'm going to name the films and then ask a question, which is you've got The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg documentary, Enemies, A Love Story by Paul Mazursky, Avalon, Barry Levinson, Liberty Heights, Barry Levinson again I'm going to tie it back to the anthology in terms of challenges of assimilation they tell great stories and I repeat here I think some of them may be really universal stories again curious to hear your thoughts in terms of what you think of related to the takeaways from these films
1: no it's just interesting they're all a little different in terms of they all do have that that conflict that question of you know Coming to, you know, when I was writing my notes for Avalon, I wrote Coming to America. I thought I had forgotten that that's not the title. They're all about Coming to America. The difference, one of the first things that's interesting between Avalon and Liberty Heights, both Barry Levinson films, in Avalon, even though it's quite clear that he's talking about a Jewish family, to my memory, the word Jewish is never used in the film. They could be any immigrants, but you can see, and he, Barry Levinson as freely says in interviews, they are his roots, his family. In Liberty Heights, which he made a few years later, it was possible for him to actually say that this family was Jewish. And there's a lot of specifically Jewish stuff that happens. Jews are named. So it's interesting to see even within these films, even within the films of one director, there's kind of conflicts and tension. How are we gonna portray this? Uh, enemies of Love Story, you know, as Paul Mazursky, as you said, it's, it's about a very specific aspect. It's probably in some ways the most specifically Jewish film of the entire bunch, because it's about a Holocaust survivor who comes to the United States and gets into, as often happens in single novels, all kinds of romantic entanglements. And, you know, but in some ways the, the film that I'm also very partial to, The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg, because he had an impact on American culture when he played baseball there were not a lot of Jews in baseball. He was really the first Jewish baseball star, and you know, kind of, he did something that Sandy Koufax did much later. You know, in 1934, he didn't he didn't pitch on. No, he didn't. He was not a pitcher. Koufax was a pitcher. He decided not to play on Yom Kippur. He was first baseman for the Detroit Tigers, and uh, so he, you know, the, these conflicts. And he again, he wasn't. He wasn't the most observant Jew in America, but he felt the weight of tradition. He felt that this was something he had to do. So all these films are fascinating. They all deal with this conflict, which, as we're saying, is a conflict that all cultures have when they try and come to a new world.
0: I think a good story, well told, is interesting, whether or not it relates to you specifically. Do you have any thoughts about these films, and and you know maybe even going back, and we've talked about. of the Yiddish classics before, just in terms of how they, if this is true, may have um, sort of helped audiences grapple with some realities of their life or how they help to put Jews in a broader conversation. I mean, certainly, you know, I think Hank Greenberg would speak to that.
1: Yeah, I think these things go both ways. I think for Jews, it's really kind of in some ways heartening to see that other people have had the same issues that you're dealing with, that you're not an outlier, that if you have you know, problems assimilating, problems being seen, that uh, you know, you're not the only one and other people have survived it and you can survive it too. And I think for other cultures or for the dominant culture, it's a way to see that these, you know, this s- small ethnic group has conflicts and problems just like mine, you know, we're not so different. You know, so I think it works both ways. In both ways, it includes the audience. It makes the audience see things in a larger context.
0: And curious to ask, Enemies a Love Story. Um, I read the, I read Singer and, you know, what do you think the challenges are to take that work and bring it into, um, you know, make a screenplay out of it?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> Roger Simon who wrote the screenplay tells the story that uh, when they were shopping this around I mean, people, you know, again, Hollywood is is an entity that has a lot of Jews in executive positions, but it's not always been comfortable with with the people in in those positions are not always comfortable with being Jewish. And really someone said to him when he went, he and Paul Mazursky went around, he said, you know, does it have to be this Holocaust? Isn't there some other Holocaust that it could have been tied to? I mean, people, and, you know, I mean, Joan McClendon-Silver told me that, you know, people would say, uh, you know, these films are too ethnic. You know, so I mean, it's still a push pull in America about, you know, why don't you know immigration is still a huge issue in this country, I don't have to tell you or the people listening. So I mean, this is still stuff that is going on. This is still stuff that we are grappling with. It's difficult stuff. But again, seeing it on film makes it more approachable, makes us understand how universal it is. And do you think that they date well? I think they all do, you know, as I look at this, I mean, some of these films on this list I've seen recently, uh, there's not one of them I couldn't see tomorrow, you know, I think they really, they hold up, you know, because the, the essence of them is very pure, you know, in a lot of these, you know, in the Barry Levinson's films, they're his story, you know, and, uh, you know, Fiddler still has this great resonance all around the world, and, you know, it's too bad, I'm hoping that someday they'll film the Fiddler in Yiddish that played in New York for mm-hmm. many, many months. You know, this is a play that has all kinds of surprises in it. So everything, you know, surprisingly relevant, there, there's nothing that I've mentioned feels at all dated to me.
0: So you go back and look at films again. I'm always curious about that. It's, you know, when you read back um, and, or when you watch back that you come to it with a, obviously a different perspective and years. Um, again, to put you on the spot, is there one that's really interesting for you to go back to?
1: All right, that's a good question. Um, I'm curious to go back to Avalon. I think is the one I'd be most curious to go back to because I want to see, I want to feel more. I mean, it's so interesting to me that the word Jewish or Jew does not appear in this film. and mm-hmm. Yet it's so intrinsically Jewish. And I just want to, I want to experience that again and see what I think about it. It's so fascinating. I mean, there's a scene in the film where, you know, it's all about three brothers and they're always feuding and They have a a family Thanksgiving and one, you know, one brother is always late and they always wait for him before they cut the turkey. And one day they're just fed up and they cut the turkey without him. And he walks in the door and he says, you cut the turkey. You know, and he turns and leaves and like never to be seen again. You know, it's such a classic feud, such a classic family feud. Anyone who's had sibling issues will really appreciate it. So, you know, I kind of want to see if I think it's a good, at the time I thought it was not a good idea, not to say that uh, the family was Jewish, obvious as it was. And I wonder if my ideas will change if I see it again.
0: Do you think it was intentional?
1: It had to be intentional. Yeah. I mean, you can't, and again, when you see Liberty Heights and you see how often same director, same subject does use the word Jewish, uh, you know it had to have been intentional. I don't know why he chose to do it that way. I've never asked him, and I've never read it anywhere, but it's a fascinating mm-hmm. choice. Huh.
0: And what was the year for Avalon?
1: Avalon was, I believe, 1990, and Liberty huh. heights didn't write the date down for but... Yeah, but
0: 1990, yeah, that's, it is really fascinating why you would...
1: Yeah, it wasn't like it was taboo. Yeah. Right. It's just an interesting question, and the film is still wonderful. You don't, you don't say, oh, this would have been a great film if... <laughs> Because the acting is so good and because there are moments like this, he cuts uh-huh. the turkey. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tonight I will go home and stream Avalon. Good. good. Yes, so what right. you think. I, I totally will. And, and I will, I will listen just to hear if they might mention no <laughs>
1: the word. No, if you hear it, let me know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's off screen.
0: Right. <laughs> Let's see it in the director's cut. Yeah. Um, yes. So, you know, again, I think that the list could probably go on and on. I didn't um, hold up to my end of the bargain. I said, I would mention some to you and and throw them out. And I apologize, but um, you have a much better breadth of knowledge than I do about these. I do think one thing we didn't talk about including might've been television shows. Um, As you know, there's a genre, I think probably of shows that deal with some of these kinds of issues, but we'll save that for a a dinner party conversation. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, All right. Thank you, as always, Kenneth Turan, for joining us. Um, Listeners, most of these films are available to stream. One is forthcoming, which is the Fiddler documentary. Correct title for that is Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen. Um, Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles is out currently. We were about to screen that here at the center before the pandemic, but all bets were off. Um, The book How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish is available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. And there you can also learn how to sign up and participate in our Great Jewish Books Book Club. You can view the other selections. The membership is free. We just want you to read along with us. And I will add that you'll also find a really great selection of classic Yiddish films available through our bookstore. And those are films that Kenneth and I have discussed on another podcast. So consider those. um, Drop by shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. Thank you again. Um, Such a pleasure and an honor to have you
1: on. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's always an invigorating conversation when you and we get together.
0: Um, All right. Well, we'll encourage everybody to read and watch and tune in again. Thanks again.
1: Thank you. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli.
0: Until next time, be well and be healthy.